Good morning. Did you have a good Christmas? Yeah! Great. Thanks, Ben. I'm glad to hear that. I did too, certainly. And the highlight of my Christmas is Annabelle. Yes, Annabelle Juliet, born December 10th. Our first grandchild, I think. Are you guys back there? Stand up so we can say hello. I think they're here, Amy and Nate and, and Dave and Julie and, and Aunt Jen. Awesome. Yeah, it's so, so cool. So awesome. So, uh, you know, the thought, uh, the thought that God would leave heaven and come to earth and be born as a tiny little baby like our Annabelle. Isn't that an awesome thought? Wow. You know, there's lots of word pictures that the Bible uses to talk about the incarnation of Christ. One of those is John 1:14, where it says, the word became flesh. I love that. Another one is from Matthew's gospel, Matthew 1, 23. And I want us to look at that one together. If we can, it says, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Matthew is quoting Isaiah here and says, Emmanuel, God with us. So the message of Christmas is that God loves us so much that he intervened on our behalf. He knows how lost and hopeless we are, and so he becomes Emmanuel, God with us. He chose to become fully human, born as a little tiny baby, fragile, helpless. Last night as I was holding Annabelle, I just thought, you know, she is so helpless. That's how Jesus was born. Uh, I don't think um, Annabelle's birth and Jesus' birth is exactly the same because Jesus was born in a barn and Annabelle was born in a state-of-the-art hospital, but still, I hope that you have been able to embrace all that Christmas means this year. But Christmas is over. It's the 26th. So... Yep, it's the 26th. So I think it's time for us to look at what comes next. For us to follow Jesus after he leaves the manger. So we're going to take some time today to do that. Just to kind of walk you through the story of Jesus and talk about a promise that Jesus made and the difference that that makes for us today. So three of the four Gospels start the story with the birth of Jesus. And all but Luke, who does share one story about Jesus when he was 12, picks up the story of Jesus when he starts his public ministry, which happens at age 30. This public ministry lasts for three years. And so during this three-year period of Jesus' public ministry, we see him ushering in the kingdom of God. We hear his teaching as we become uh, aware of the nature and the ethics 
of his kingdom. But more than all that, we see in Jesus the embodiment of the kingdom. We watch his compassion as he cares for the hurting and the sick. We see his wisdom and his courage as he goes toe to toe with those Jewish religious leaders that were intimidated by him, threatened by him. And at, at the end of this three-year period of time, Jesus announces that he is going to Jerusalem where he will lay down his very life to redeem mankind. And so we see Jesus on Palm Sunday riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. We see the eventful week that he experiences. And then on Thursday night, Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples getting ready to eat the Passover meal. And it's at this point in the story that I really want to zoom in and talk about what happens in these hours because of the significance of what happens. So the evening starts with Jesus washing their feet. Now that was a real shock to his disciples. That didn't fit because Jesus was their leaders and leaders don't wash feet. Servants wash feet. But Jesus was just trying to hammer home the nature of his kingdom. It's an upside down kingdom. And the values of this kingdom are humility and sacrifice. So then they start to eat the Passover meal and Jesus drops a bombshell and says, one of you is going to betray me. And we see Judas slip out into the night to carry out his mission of assisting the Jewish leaders in arresting Jesus. The Passover was a meal that was a part of the Jewish tradition for many, many years. And so it was something that they were a part of observing year after year after year. But tonight, Jesus said, it's different. Tonight, moving forward, I'm going to institute a whole new sacrament. We're not going to be celebrating that a lamb's blood was spilt. We're going to be celebrating my blood, which will be shed for the forgiveness of your sins. And so he said to them, when you eat the bread and when you drink the wine from now on, Understand that this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. As you observe this sacrament moving forward, do it in remembrance of me. And today we're going to take communion. We're going to observe and take those elements and experience God's grace another time. And do that at the end of the service. So then after the Passover meal, Jesus drops another bombshell and says, I'm leaving. And they were shocked. Now, we could debate whether they should be shocked because he had foretold this several times, but evidently they didn't get it and they were shocked. And Peter stands up and puffs out his chest and says, oh no, Jesus, that's not going to happen. I'll stay with you wherever you go. I'll protect you. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, really, Peter? Really? Truth is, you're going to deny me three times before morning. 
Then Jesus talks about where he's going and what he's going to do. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, heaven, your future home. And he says, I'll come back and I'll take you to be there with me. Can you imagine being one of the disciples and just hearing all this, being shocked at Jesus washing their feet, and then experiencing the bombshell with Judas, and then the whole repurposing of the Passover meal, and then Jesus' announcement that he was leaving them, and then Jesus' tussle with Peter, and then Jesus' prediction of heaven. Man, their heads must have been spinning with all that they were hearing and experiencing. But I'm guessing they had no idea what was coming next, for Jesus will be arrested, taken before the Sanhedrin, found guilty of blasphemy, then in the wee hours of the night paraded before Pilate and Herod and back to Pilate where he is sentenced to die. He's scourged and by Friday morning at nine o'clock, Jesus is hanging on the cross. Six hours later, Friday afternoon, they take Jesus' lifeless body and put it in Joseph's tomb. And the disciples had fled, afraid of the Jews, and they were holed up in a locked room. But three days later, Sunday morning, the Marys go, see that the stone was rolled away, run, tell Peter and John, they run, they see the empty tomb for themselves, and later that night, Jesus appears to his disciples for the first time after his resurrection, coming through those locked doors. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Because what I really want to talk about is what Jesus promised them back on Thursday night in the upper room. So I want us to go back to that scene. And I want us to look at John chapter 14. And I want us to listen to Jesus' promise to his disciples. He says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So Jesus is trying to encourage them. He's trying to comfort them. He's saying, yes, I'm going to leave, but it's okay. I won't leave you as orphans. I will send this advocate, this Counselor, this spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. And where did Jesus say the Holy Spirit would live? I'd like an answer. Where did Jesus say the Holy Spirit would live? In them. Yes, that's right. So if Christmas is all about Emmanuel, God with us, now Jesus promises an even more intimate relationship, not God with us, but God in us. The 
wonderful story of Christmas, that Jesus comes in the form of of a baby is awesome, but it has limitations. Because Jesus could only be at one place at a time. He was limited by time and space. Whereas the Holy Spirit is not limited by time and space. He can live in all of the disciples and each of us simultaneously. Exciting stuff. So, Peter reflects on this truth in 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4. I want us to dig into this and just learn more about this God in us paradigm. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Let's unpack this. Go back to verse three. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Friends, did you hear that? Everything we need to live our lives the way God intends for us to live it is available to us. Think about that statement. I'm afraid sometimes we live below that standard that God has made it possible for us to attain, but we don't have to. We can live victorious lives. And that doesn't mean that we're always on the mountaintop. That doesn't mean that our circumstances are always great. That doesn't mean that we don't face difficulties. But what it does mean is whatever comes our way, God's Holy Spirit living in us can help us to respond and react the right way. Verse four. Through these, he's given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. I wanna talk about that. What does that mean? That promise that says we may participate in the divine nature. Well, let's look at the word participate. Some translations use the word share. So the idea here is that God intends to have a full partnership relationship with us. He wants us to surrender all that we are to him and he wants to make available all that he is to us. A full sharing, participate. So it says participate in the divine nature. What does that mean? Another translation says that you may come to share in the very being of God. So just to clarify, that doesn't mean that we become divine in any way, we're always going to be limited by our humanity. But what it does mean is exactly what Jesus promised in John 14, that the Holy Spirit will live in us. And that through that intimate relationship with him, we can be empowered by the Holy Spirit. We can be led by the Holy Spirit. We can live out the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, 
goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Friends, are you getting this? What a promise. What an invitation. Bob Benson was a great storyteller of another generation. Does anybody know that name, Bob Benson? I see a few hands raised out there. Well, when I was a kid, Bob Benson came and spoke at my local church in St. Mary's, Ohio. And he shared a story on a Sunday morning that I will never forget. And I found it published in a book, and I want to share it with you because it is perfect for what we're talking about today. And I hope once you hear it, you'll never forget it either. It's called the bologna sandwich. You ever remember the days when they used to have old-fashioned Sunday school picnics? I do. They would say, we're going to meet at Sycamore Lodge, Shelby Park, 4.30 Saturday afternoon. You bring your own supper, we'll supply the iced tea. But if you're like me, you didn't get home till the last minute, and when you looked in your refrigerator to pack your picnic, the only thing you could find was a dried up piece of bologna and just enough mustard in the bottom of the jar to get it all over your knuckles as you tried to get to it, and two old stale slices of bread. And so you made your bologna sandwich and you put it in a brown paper bag and you went to the picnic. Well, when it came time to eat, you sat at the end of the table and you spread out your sandwich. Well, pretty soon a family came and they had a spread. The lady was a really good cook, and she had been working all day long on this picnic. Fried chicken, baked beans, potato salad, homemade rolls, fresh sliced tomatoes, pickles, olives, celery, and two big homemade chocolate pies laid out there right in front of you as you sat there with your bologna sandwich. <laughs> And then they said, let's put it all together. Oh, no. No, I, I, I couldn't do that. I, I couldn't even think of doing that. You muttered in embarrassment with one eye on the chicken. Oh, come on. We have plenty of chicken and we have plenty of pie. We have plenty of everything. Let's just put it all together. And so you did and you ate like a king when you came like a pauper. One day, it dawned on me that God had been saying the same sort of thing to me. Why don't you take what you have and are, and I'll take what I have and am, and we'll just put it all together. I began to see that when I took what I was and had and am and hope to be and put it with all he is, I had stumbled upon the bargain of a lifetime. I get to thinking sometimes, thinking about sharing with God. 
I think about how little I bring and how much he brings and invites me to share. And I know I should be shouting to the housetops. But I am so filled with awe and wonder that I can hardly speak. I don't have enough love or faith Grace, mercy, wisdom. But he does. He has all those things in abundance. And he says, let's just put it all together. Sacrifice, denial, consecration, commitment, crosses. Those used to be really hard words for me until I saw them in light of sharing. It's not that I kick in what I have because God is the biggest kid in the neighborhood and wants it all for himself. No, he says, everything I possess is available to you. Everything I can be to a person, I will be to you. When I think about it like that, I truly get amused when I see somebody going through life, hanging on to their dumb brown paper bag with their stale bologna sandwich saying, God's not gonna get my sandwich. No siree, this is mine. You ever see anybody like that? So empty, almost half starved to death, hanging on for dear life. God doesn't need your bologna sandwich. You need his chicken. Well, go ahead, eat your bologna sandwich as long as you can. But when you get so sick and tired of its tastelessness or drabness, when you get so tired of running your own life, doing it your way, figuring out all the answers without anyone to help when trying to accumulate, grab, hold, keep everything together by yourself becomes too big of a load to bear. When you begin to realize that by yourself, your dreams are never going to be fulfilled, I hope you'll remember. It doesn't have to be that way. You have been invited to something far better. You have been invited to share in the very being of God. On this 
last Sunday of the year. God has an invitation for you, friends. He wants your bologna sandwich. But he's got some fried chicken for you. So here's what we want to do. We're going to take time this morning to respond to God. We're going to do it in two ways. First, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to God by writing a prayer to him. We have these sheets available. They're, they're tucked in behind, uh, the, in front of you in those seat backs. And they're all over the sanctuary. So maybe if somebody in the first service used the one right in front of you, just find another one. And if I can deputize all of you, like some of you that are, have these empty seats here, if we can make sure that everybody gets one of these, can we just do that real quick? Just take a moment and just make sure that everybody gets one of these sheets. Thank you so much for helping each other do that. You'll see it has the brown paper bag on one side and the chicken dinner on the other side, just as a reminder. So I just want you to write a prayer to God, just in response to what he's asking of you today. You might want to say, God, today I give you my bologna sandwich, or whatever you want to write. When you finish with your prayer, I would like for you to come forward and just place this prayer on the altar. What we're going to do with these prayers is we're going to put them up on the wooden set pieces behind me. So don't put your name on these. Don't put your name on it. Just you, you and God know it's between you and him. When you come and when you uh, put your prayer on the altar, you'll see that there are these communion elements on the altar. Like I said earlier, I want us to take communion today and just receive God's love and grace one more time. These are symbols of his love, of his forgiveness, of his sacrifice for you. It's not exactly a piece of fried chicken, but it's kind of the same idea. So take one of these and go back to your seat and take communion. You can do that with your family. You can do that by yourself. So we're just going to give you time to respond. Piano's just going to play quietly. And if you're watching online, I would just invite you to do the same thing. I would invite you to just take a piece of paper and write a prayer to God in response to what he's saying today. And if there's any way you can make it possible to find some juice and some bread and take communion there where you're at, that would be good as well. When we're done, the worship team is going to come and we're going to sing one more song of praise to the Lord before we go. Jesus, we thank you so much for your presence here. I sense you so powerfully. And I just invite you to help us to be able to respond to you today. You have so much to give us. God, save us from our pride of hanging on to that bologna sandwich. Help us to be willing to surrender that so that we can receive all that you want to give us. We trust you. We praise you today.